you know? It's a tenth. If you're giving 20%, guess what? You're not a tither, you're a twither. You know? If you're giving 80%, you're an either. If you're giving 90%, you're neither. Tithe is simply a percentage. It's, it means 10%. The emphasis here is not the word tithe. The emphasis is the fact that this man, Abraham, gave something to God. He gave something of his own increase to God. Now, it's interesting when we talk about this, there's a rule in theological training called the principle of first mention or the law of first mention. So when you do theology training, one of the things they'll teach you is that whatever topic you want to preach on or teach on or discuss or whatever, go into the Word of God and find the first time that that principle or that subject is mentioned. Because if you go in and you find the very first time, you'll get a foundation of basic theology about that particular thing. And then you go on to other secondary and third and fourth and so on accounts of that same thing in the Bible and you can go from the basic premise of a topic to the more complex issues in a topic. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going back to the very basic idea and basic foundations of tithing. This passage we're reading here is the very first time that tithing is ever mentioned in the Word of God. It's the first time that the tithe is ever brought up or that giving a tenth is ever brought up in the Bible. And what's interesting about this is we're talking Old Testament here, and here's this man called Abraham. Abraham is what? The father of many nations. Abraham is the one through whom the seed, the Messiah, came. Jesus came. Abraham is the one through whom the Jewish nation came. Then as Gentiles, we were grafted in. Those of us that are not Jews are Gentiles. We're grafted into the family of God. So in one sense, Abraham, when we say Father Abraham, we literally mean that. He's the father of those that will have relationship and communion with God. That's who Abraham is. He's the father of those that have fellowship with God. So very much we are connected genealogically, lineagely, we are connected through our faith all the way back to this man that gave a tenth of what he had to this priest called Melchizedek. Now what's really interesting about Melchizedek as well is that he's very rarely mentioned in the Bible. In fact, he's only mentioned twice in the whole Old Testament, once here and once in Psalm 110, where it just makes a reference to this guy who was a priest of the Most High called Melchizedek. Outside of that, the only other time this guy's mentioned is in the book of Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews is writing to people with a Jewish background, to try to explain to them the connection between the Old Testament and the laws and how it all pointed us forward to the person of Jesus. Nobody knows who wrote the book, but we do know what the purpose of the book of Hebrews was. Um, Very quickly, Hebrews chapter 7. If you've got a Bible there, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 to 3. Hebrews 7, 1 to 3 tells us this. It says... For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. Now this again is well and truly before the 12 tribes of Israel are allocated, out of which one tribe called the Levites were called to minister as priests before God. This is before any of that history of mankind. Somehow, somewhere, this man Melchizedek has appeared on the scene as a priest of God before the priesthood was ever legitimized. Before the priesthood was ever announced. Here's this man. He's there before. Okay? Now this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, which is what we just read in Genesis, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, 
First being translated king of righteousness. So Melchizedek, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So here's a guy in the Old Testament that is a king of righteousness and king of peace. Who does that sound like? Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? When he he walks out to him, in Genesis it says that Melchizedek came out to Abraham and what did he bring to him? Bread and wine. What does it sound like? Communion. Communion, the celebration of, again, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without father, verse 3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Who does that sound like? No father, no mother, no beginning, no end. It sounds a lot like Jesus. It sounds a lot like This man Melchizedek, way back here in the Old Testament, is representing someone that is going to come in the New Testament in the form of Jesus Christ. And the New Testament writer makes that connection in Hebrews and goes, when you go back to this story and you read this, what's actually happening here? He says, well, what's actually happening here is, in a very real sense, Abraham is giving a tenth of what he owns to Jesus. He's giving of his increase to God through this man Melchizedek who is without beginning, without end and so on. So there's a connection between what we are reading here about tithing, about giving that is going to relay itself across into the New Testament. I want to just quickly throw out with the time we've got now three things. Three things that I see about giving out of this passage. It's very first. Remember we're talking about foundations and basics of giving and generosity. Tithing, call it what you want. We're talking about the very basics of it here. Next week, what we're going to do is I'm going to take these exact same points. We're going to translate them across to the New Testament and see if they're still relevant for us as a church today. We'll see if it carries over into the New Testament era in which we live in now because we want to be biblical. Okay? I want to talk to us about giving, but I want our giving to be biblically based. I want you to give with a sense of conviction that it's right. Not that you feel you have to. Not that you have been manipulated. Not that you have been coerced or pushed or shoved. But that we give because we want to. And that's not just in a financial sense. That's in everything that we do. If you are turning up here in the morning and setting up, it's because you want to. If you are doing morning teas, it's because you want to. Because you see that as a contribution to the life of the family of God here at Arise and so on. If you give of your time to come and clean the shed or whatever, it's because you want to. I don't want anybody doing anything in the context of a rise because you feel coerced and pushed. Okay? So we're going to look specifically at that area of giving and generosity. Do these points that we get, these basic foundations in the Old Testament, can we translate them across to the New Testament? So to start with, let's have a look at what those things are. The very first thing I see here in Genesis chapter 14 is this, that Abraham gave voluntarily. Abraham gave voluntarily. There's no indication anywhere in this passage that he had to give. There's no indication anywhere here that he was coerced to give this to Melchizedek, to take a tenth of what he had gathered when he went out into battle and came back with the spoils. There's no indication anywhere that he was forced, coerced, pressured, manipulated into giving this to Melchizedek, but he gave it voluntarily. 
Some people use this excuse to say that tithing is irrelevant nowadays. They'll say this, and you would have heard this, and if you haven't, I'm sure that you will. Tithing is under the law. We're no longer under the law, therefore we are free from tithing. Anyone ever heard that excuse? We don't need to tithe anymore. Well, let me give you a little bit of an understanding here. What's taking place here is happening between 300 to 600 years before the law is given. So tithing was not instituted under the law, the old covenant. Tithing came into place three to 600 years before the law was ever given through Moses. Three to 600 years before. So the argument that, well, because we're in the New Testament now, where it's the New Covenant, it's not the Old Testament, that we don't need to give anymore, it's a paper thin, not, not even paper thin. It's like writing it in thin air in water. It's going to drop and there's no substance, nothing to carry it. Three to six hundred years before, we have the first man giving the first offering, the first tithe, ever before the law came along. So he gave voluntarily. There was nothing within his culture, nothing within the Bible that indicates anything that coerced or pushed him to give. He gave completely voluntarily. So people, the reason that we no longer need to give because we're under grace, not law, they do not understand the origins of giving. Mankind gave to God before they were ever made to. So here's what happened when the law came into place. All of a sudden, when the law comes into place, we have to. The law motivated man out of fear. If you don't do this, here are the consequences of God. If you don't do this, if you don't do that, if you don't do this. Under the new covenant, we're motivated by grace. We don't give because we have to. We now are in a place where we give because we want to in the exact same way that giving was in the very beginning. Abraham gave because he wanted to. He gave because he wanted to. No coercion. He gave voluntarily. While we don't have to give... Here's the reality. It does put us into a world of new... Here's a funny one. Anyone got predictive... You know, anyone got a Samsung thing and you do this with your... Yeah? I'm going to give you a little bit of a secret what's written on my tablet here. Whilst we don't have to give, it does put us in a world of new poison booties. <laughs> now let me explain. <laughs> Silly auto text. While we don't have to give, it does put us in a world of new possibilities. New possibilities. So if, if anyone has got a Samsung and you try to write possibilities, make sure you look. It'll come up poison booties. Okay, but it's meant to be possibilities. Anyone watch the Today Show? Anyone wake up with Today? You know, that show in the morning? No? And every show's got it. They've all got that thing that we're going to ring you up and one show, you know, one day we're going to give away $500 and then Channel 7 went, what? We can beat that. We're going to give away 1000 and Channel 10 get, we'll give away 2000 and then we'll, we'll give away 50000 we'll give away 100000 and, you know, next week someone's going to give you the whole network. If you answer the phone at the right time, you get the whole network. They're going to give you the whole station. It's all yours. Do what you want with it. Okay? But the thing is, you've got to be watching and you've got to answer and you've got to say, oh, I wake up with today or whatever it is, you know. Now, how many of you know that you don't have to register? You don't have to give them your number. You don't have to ring them up and register and so on. You don't have to do that. Nobody, they're not on TV making people register for I Wake Up With Today. But how many of you know if you do register with Wake Up With Today because you want to, because you choose to, if you do, you put yourself into a world of possibility where you just may get a phone call and say, I Wake Up With Today and win a TV studio. You just might do that. You put yourself in that position. And you see, this is the way it is with giving for us. In the New Testament, and even back here with Abraham, we don't have to give. You don't have to give by some legalistic thing. But if you do, you open up a world 
of supernatural possibility to you, as the Bible talks about my God that provides all my needs, according to his riches in glory. When we do, we open ourselves up to a world of possibilities where the spiritual world gets involved in our financial world and there is a reciprocation, there's a flow of God into that area of life. But God doesn't make us do it. Proverbs 11, verse 24, 25 says this. It says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. So there's someone out there that's throwing it away, but more's coming back to them. And who's that person? It's the generous person. The generous person. What's the second part of this? And there is one who withholds more than is right. What does that tell me? It tells me, first of all, it's right to withhold some. You go to work, you work hard. You've got bills to pay, you've got things to do. It's right to withhold. There's an amount to withhold, but not all of it. Don't withhold more than is right. Verse 25, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also himself be watered. There's a principle of God with generosity that generous people receive back. Givers get. And I'm not just talking financial blessing. I'm talking a big picture blessing of God. You know, I'm not saying give and you'll get cars and houses. I'm not saying any of that. But at the same time, I am saying that God knows the needs that I have. And when I give, that God takes care of my needs. When I take care of his kingdom, he takes care of mine, if I can put it that way. There's something about generosity. And I'm sticking to the Old Testament here. But there's something about generosity. That you can't be more generous than God. You can't be more generous than God. And God loves a generous person. So Abraham, first of all, he gave voluntarily. The second thing is he gave systematically. He did give systematically. What was his system? Well, he gave a tenth. Why did he give a tenth? Now, that's a really good question with absolutely no answer. There's no answer to it. There's nothing in the Bible to tell us why Abraham decided to give one-tenth. Now, you want to go further on down the track, why did they give a tenth? Well, I can tell you because the law stated they had to give a tithe. And they had to give a tithe. Now, by the way, when we talk about Israel's tithes, it wasn't just 10%. There were about three different tithes that Israel had to give. It ended up being between 22 and 36% that they had to give in some way, shape, or form to God. Okay? There were different kinds of tithes and different types. And, and it worked out to be more than just the 10. But why did Abraham initially give 10? I don't know. So why in the very foundations of the Bible, when it speaks about giving, does it mention 10%? I don't know biblically, but I can surmise something for you. Here's my summation. If I was to have to give an amount, that that would exclude certain people. Let's say, for example, you had to give, uh, you know, two hundred dollars a week, but you earn one hundred and thirty. Well, you're out. If it was a set amount, if Abraham came and said, "Well, you have to give this set amount," and everybody following as a principle now of giving, you must give this set amount, that will rule a lot of people out. So I wonder whether way back in the very beginnings of giving, when God first put this story in the Bible for us to look at years down the track, why was it 10%? Well, because guess what? I might not have $200, but I do have, say, 10% of what I have. Ask me to give you a scripture and verse to support that? I can't. But I do believe that everything's in the Word of God for a reason. 
Why did he choose a tenth? I think because it doesn't rule anybody out. And apart from that, it tells me something. He thought about his giving. He thought about it. He had a system. He had a reason behind what he gave and why he gave. It wasn't just some random, I'll just wake up and see how I feel. You know? I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago and um, uh, he came on in here to church. Actually, last week, he came on into church and, and um, uh, went up there and, and uh, put some, some um, tithe in, the, in the, uh, the, the giving box there. And then after church last Sunday, this person bailed me up and said, I can't believe that you spoke about that. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, I came into church this morning and thought, I'm just going to give half my time today. So I put half in. Then he said, after church, I was so convicted, I had to go back and put the other one in. He said, I just didn't want you to think I was doing two tithes. I wasn't. I was just putting in, topping up the first one, making sure it was all, you know. So I don't care. It's between you and God. It's got nothing to do with me. But he gave systematically. He didn't give randomly. You know? Everybody can give if we give systematically. For example, if it's 10%, and I'm not saying you have to do that, I'm just saying based on Abraham's system. If you earn a thousand bucks, you can give a hundred. If your income's down to a hundred dollars, then you can give ten. A person out there that was earning ten dollars could give one dollar. So he had a system in place that didn't exclude any individual, regardless of whether they were filthy rich or they had nothing. Everybody was able to give. Might not have been equal giving, but it's equal sacrifice. Does that make sense? Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice on behalf of each individual. Maybe, just maybe. When we go back and we study the beginning principles of giving, maybe that's why God's got that in there for us to have a look at. Thirdly, he gave gratefully. Abraham, I believe, gave gratefully. If you read the background of this story, uh, it, it says there that uh, when Melchizedek, Melchizedek came to him, Melchizedek said this, he said, Blessed be God most high, and listen to this, Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. He's just returned from a successful victory. He's gone out to battle. He's freed his relative lot. And he came back with more than he went out for because he took the spoils of war off these people as well. He's had a pretty good day. God's done a lot for this guy. God has blessed this man. And along comes Melchizedek. And the Bible says, gives him a tenth. I reckon that he gave that to him out of gratefulness for what he had just achieved. For gratefulness for what God had done. Blessed be God most high. Who delivered you from the hand of your enemies? It was God. Let's acknowledge it was God that delivered you from the hands of your enemies. And not is delivering, not will deliver. God has. So he's looking back and saying, because of what God has done in my life, I'm going to bring something with a grateful heart and give it to God based on what God has done, based on the fact that God has already blessed me and God has already moved in my life. You know what? The best way to become a cheerful giver for any of us is to start to look at the blessing that you already have and stop looking for the blessings that you want. One of the reasons why, as, as believers, we are not as generous as what we would like to be is because we spend so much time looking at what we want out of God instead of what we've been given. Looking at where we want to be instead of where we are. Unable to see the blessings for what they are right now in our life, in our world, as we stand right now. I was talking to a person the other day, and they were talking to me about a job. Uh, that they, They'd applied for this job. They really wanted this job, and they didn't get this job, and they were a bit disappointed. And understandably so, it was a great job, a great fit for that person. And as we were chatting, I could tell that they were feeling a little bit like they'd been rejected by not getting this job. And as we were chatting, it just popped into my head this thought. And I said to them, you know what, don't look at it as you've just been rejected. 
Look at it as you've just been protected. See, God knows. God knows you've invited God into this situation and if you didn't get that job, maybe God's protecting you from something or for something. You've got to think like that. Maybe you, what you thought was going to be a great opportunity may not have been. Maybe there's a better opportunity coming up the other day. So God has protected you. He's not rejected you. You're not being rejected by not getting this. You're being protected for something better. Now, when you start to look at it like that, you've got something to give to God. You can give God praise for his watching over you. Give God praise for his blessing in holding that thing back from you. Look at the blessings that you have in your life right now. Find those moments, find those things that you can say praise God for. Because each of us have tons of blessings. No matter what bad stuff you may be going through or what you're feeling right now, you are blessed of God. Oh, me, me and the family, we sat down last night and we watched that movie Lion. Anyone seen that movie Lion? It's a fantastic film. True story about this guy that has all this stuff happen, ends up in Australia as a kid and goes to Google Earth and finds you. Fantastic movie. But just watching it, I was reminded again of the years we spent living in India and watching the kids run around and I'm having flashbacks of my kids running around in the, the, the poor slum areas with the slum kids and all this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking about all this stuff and I'm thinking, man, God, I'm so blessed. Man, am I blessed. I'm so, I, I've got so many things in my life that I want to whinge about and complain about. So many things that I wish God would do, that I wish he would give me, that I wish would happen. But if I stop and have a good look at where I am right now, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. And I think everybody in this room, if we can see past all the other stuff, you're blessed. You've got all your faculties. Most of them are working pretty good. I don't know what yours are going to be like when you get home, Rolf, but right now they're working pretty good. You're going to go home and you're going to have lunch. A lot of people in this world are not going to go home and have lunch because they can't. You've probably got a roof over your head. You probably drove here in a car. You've probably got a friend to talk to today, somebody to say day to, somebody to connect with. You're looking at something. You're listening to me talk. We have so many things that we uh, can be grateful for. And I think the secret to becoming a cheerful giver is to start to look at what has God done, just like Abraham did. Melchizedek said to him, Blessed be God who has given you victory. He's already given you something. Abraham, look at what God has given to you. God just gave you back your relative. He gave you the spoils. He gave you all this stuff. Have a look at that. And out of that, he went, wow, I'm so blessed. And he was able to give. He was able to be a generous person by looking at that. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18 says this. It says, then you say in your heart, my power, this is speaking of Israel. This is God's warning to Israel saying, obey my laws, do what I'm asking, and so on, blah, 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 blah. Then you say in your heart, once you get blessed, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And he says this, he says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. If you have a job, if you have an ability to earn income, where do you think that came from at its very embryonic stage? Who gave you the ability to have a brain that would one day be able to go to university, study and become whatever? Who gave you the ability in embryonic form to release the potential in your life to be where you are right now? It came from God. It doesn't come from us. We don't get there by our own means. We get there because God has given us the ability to do that. Now, Genesis 28, verse 20 to 22 Here's a contrast, and this is the second time 
Tithing's mentioned in the Old Testament. And this is a man by the name of Jacob. Genesis 28, 20 to 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, look at the difference. If God will bless me, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. There it is again. So once again, we have Jacob giving voluntarily. No one's making him do this. Once again, we have Jacob giving systematically. He chooses to give a tenth. Why? We still don't know. Maybe because from Abraham it became a bit of a custom and perhaps that's what they did. He gave voluntarily. He gave systematically. But look at the difference. If you will bless me, then I will. If you will do this for me, then I will. Abraham said, because you have, I will. Jacob goes, well, if you do, God, then... You see the difference? Let me tell you, there are two types of Christians living in the Western world today. And I'm picking on the Western world because it's where I live at the moment and I can. There are Christians of convenience and there are Christians of conviction. Jacob represents a Christian of convenience. If you will bless me and top up and make sure I've got enough and that, then I'll, out of my abundance, and I'll give to you what's overflowing from the top. You can have that, God. Because it's convenient. There's no sacrifice, doesn't cost me nothing. Abraham said, no, 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 because of what you've already done for me, I can trust you. Abraham gave out of a place of conviction. God, you've blessed me. And it's right that I give back to you, Father, for who you are, for what you have done. Jacob said, well, I'll give to you if you do. See the difference in attitude? What are we going to be? Are we going to be generous people out of conviction? Because we believe the word of God teaches that we should be generous, that we should be givers? Or do we want to be people that do it out of conviction? I loved Rulof's story this morning. Because straight away when he shared that, I thought, thank you, God. What a great example of somebody giving out of conviction. He didn't have the money to do what he did. He shared that story this morning with the car. God challenged him. Okay, you don't have enough. What are you going to do? Now, that's where, you, that's where the difference is. That's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where you answer the question verbally or non-verbally, through your actions. And that's where you say to God, God, I am a, a, a convenient Christian or I'm a conviction Christian. And it doesn't just have to be giving. It can be praying. It can be getting into the word of God. It can be serving your fellow man. Any area of life. What do we do? Do we do it out of conviction or do we do it out of convenience? Because God wants us to be people that live out of conviction. I read this morning about a man who went to his church and knelt down with his pastor and he prayed. He said, um, I want to commit to giving 10% and, and tithing to this church and so on. And so they knelt down and they prayed and this guy made a vow to the Lord. He said, God, I'm going to give you 10%. Anyway, then he moved away from the church and about five years later, he walks up back to the church. The pastor's there. He walks into the pastor. The pastor goes, oh, it's great to see you. How are you going? He says, well, I'm going fantastic, actually. Um, he goes, oh, really? Tell me what's going on with your world. He says, well, remember we sat down. I made that vow to God that I would tithe yet. Well, I, 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 I did, and I got $60, and I gave God 6 I said, awesome. He said, yeah, then, then, I, then, then all of a sudden I found myself in a situation where I had $600, so I gave God 60 He said, fantastic, that's great. He said, yep, and then my, my $6,000 uh, uh, turned into 6000 and I gave 600 And then before I knew it, I found myself with 60000 so I gave 6000 
Then not before long, I found myself in a situation where I earned 600000 but I'd given to God 60000 That's awesome, said the pastor. It's fantastic. Well done. It's great. He said, yeah, but then I found myself in a situation where I earned $6 million, and then I had to give God 600000 The pastor goes, that's fantastic. And the guy goes, no, no, it's not. It's actually not. I mean, I could cope up to here giving six, $600, giving 6000 even 60000 fine, but giving 600000 that's too much. Pastor, would you please pray with me and ask God, would he release me from the vow? The pastor gets down on his knees and the pastor starts praying. And after a couple of minutes, the guy taps him on the shoulder and goes, uh, are you asking uh, the Lord, can I get out of the vow? He says, no, no, I'm asking God to drop your income to 600000 <laughs> See, some of us could be like that. Some of us could be like that. As long as it's convenient... As long as it's convenient, God, I'll be a generous person and I'll give. Once it gets outside the realm of convenience, I don't want to, oh, I'm not sure to. We've got to be people that give out of conviction because we believe personally that's the right thing to do, not because we feel like we have to. And unfortunately, when it comes to finances, that's a real tested area. Matter of fact, John Wesley once said this. He said, the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. Martin Luther said a similar thing. He said, every man needs two conversions. The first is heart. The second is wallet. I think there's a little bit of truth in that, even when I look at my own life. Generosity, being a generous person, comes from looking at what God has done. For me, as a New Testament believer, generosity comes from looking at the cross. If you want to be a generous person, get a revelation of the cross. You cannot get a revelation of the cross and not be generous. Can't happen. It's interesting to me that generosity is brought out well and truly before the Lord does. Well and truly before we feel like we have to. God shows us that, you know what, the ideal is that you do it like Abraham because you want to. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever should believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that we would have life through him so there's the challenge there's the foundation of giving abraham gave voluntarily abraham gave systematically and abraham gave gratefully now next week we're going to flip that around to a new testament sense and let's see if the basics travel all the way through those several thousand years into the new testament let's see if they're valid today and i think you'll be surprised hopefully not that each one of those things are Father, I want to thank you for today, Lord. I want to thank you for uh, the opportunity to gather together, the opportunity to worship, the opportunity to get into the Word of God, to have a look at it, and, uh, Lord, the opportunity to be challenged by what the Holy Spirit would say to each one of us. God, I pray a blessing upon each of us as we go from this place. Father, I pray over the next few weeks, God, as, as we talk about this topic of giving, that you just continue to encourage us, God, to go back to the Word of God and to see what the Bible says, Lord, that none of us would feel manipulated, controlled, coerced, pushed, but that we would be led by the Spirit of God. As your word says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, bless you guys. Um, Don't forget next week, Mother's Day service, and um, Brunhilde's last service. I'm not going to say Ross, because I don't know if he's going to make it. Um, If he does, catch it in.